0: Welcome to Orange Intelligence, a KUKA Robotics podcast featuring key players in the drive towards innovation and automation in any market. Hello and welcome to Orange Intelligence everybody, a podcast by KUKA Robotics. I'm your host today Tyler Kern and today we are bringing you the State of the Union for Robotics according to Simon Witten from KUKA Robotics. Simon is my guest today, he's the Senior VP of Sales and Marketing for North America for KUKA Robotics. Simon, thank you so much for joining me.
1: It's a pleasure Tyler.
0: Absolutely. I'm uh, excited to get a chance to talk to you and get uh, your read of things, your read of the industry today. Uh, and we're calling it the State of the Union for Robotics, according to Simon Witten, of course. Uh, he is uh, our, our expert guest today. And so, Simon, let's uh, start off here just as we as we begin this conversation. What's the current trajectory for robot sales right now in North America? Uh,
1: generally, it's pretty good. As we look forward, the- you know the socio-economic drivers plus the technological drivers that, that power the growth in robotics all are good and certainly as we need to generate more and more income and revenue for everybody uh, as we got I don't know an aging population for example we can visualize that and we've got uh, in uh, outside of coronavirus of course we've got generally very good levels of employment we need machines to go to the work to produce revenue, create business for us. So the drivers are on in place. So I'd say going forward, that it looks fairly good for the robotics industry.
0: Excellent. Well, with with the industry looking good, there's obviously still room for growth in the North American market um, because maybe adoption in this region has been slower than in Asia. And I'm I'm wondering. What has contributed to that, if that is in fact the case? Have you seen that the industry has um, maybe been slower to adopt robotics in the United States or in North America in general? And if so, why is that?
1: Good question. In general, I'd say, yeah, North America has been slower to adopt uh, in terms of the growth pattern. There were very early adoption of robotics in North America. In fact, the very first industrial robot was sold in the United States. So, right from the get-go, robots uh, and the United States have been linked together in the broader region. What we've seen, however, is that while there's been a fairly steady growth over time, largely driven by the automotive industry, which recognized the benefit of using robotics very early, that's always been a constant driver of the growth. What we've seen, by contrast, though, in countries in Asia, is whilst they may have been a little later to come to robotics, The adoption rate is much higher in that region, even in places like China, for example, where you'd think on the face of it, well, isn't there, you know, more than a billion people there? There's a lot of ready manual labor and so forth. In fact, what we've seen is, was they're late to the party? My word, they've arrived and they've really got a good seat at the table and they're consuming robots at a way faster rate than North America. If you look at places like South Korea, that's similarly true. Manufacturing has embraced robotics as an as a indispensable tool in the manufacturing uh, landscape, as has Japan. So these three countries primarily dominate the adoption of robots, and they're growing at a faster rate. Why that is? It's a very interesting question. I mean, it, obviously, you know, there are various ways you can tackle the question. What I would say is, in the case of China, when they understood, okay, we need to adopt robotics... Everything was in place for that to happen. Applications are well-developed, uh, supply networks are in place. There were a lot of experts that were on hand to enable these companies to adopt robotics instantly. And there was a massive flow of investment in adopting robotics into these early applications. If you take automotive, as I mentioned before, nobody can conceive these days of making a car without using a robot. Sure. Uh, When we visit, I'm sure Tyler, if you think about a car plant immediately, you see lots of robots uh, moving around, welding cars. We all expect cars are made that way. Mm -hmm. So when China said, "Okay, we're going to make cars, instantly they they had robots on hand. They had the processes on hand and the equipment on hand to adopt that. But the spirit of adoption, of, of understanding the benefit of use, meant that the moment they uncovered another application all the equipment was available and ready to go so they didn't have any lag i need to do this i can get everything i need to do i'm going to do it now underlying all of that i return to a point that i made before is that even though if i speak of china there's a big population in fact the the one child policy has meant that you've got a lack of young, skilled labor going into the manufacturing workforce. So, that in, in, unbelievable as it seems, in, in the manufacturing space, in factories, there aren't that many young people going in to do that work. So, immediately again, we need automation to generate the wealth, to, to do the repetitive tasks. That was done straight away. Now, if I contrast that with a mature country like Uh, uh, the United States, excuse me, then you've got factories that are made up predominantly of people and now you're asking, how does that transition go from doing it with people to doing it with robots? And by definition, that's a slower transformation than an empty plant with no equipment, I'll just put robots in place. So the adoption rate in countries where there's a lack of ready labour is much stronger that in places where traditionally we turn to to labor to do that work and you're looking for transformation, but the things are starting to line up in the same way, as I mentioned before, we've got an aging population, we've got falling birth rates, we've got relatively high uh, employment levels, but we still need to continue to generate the growing wealth. So it's likely that the US will accelerate in that regard, and it should. And it should
0: absolutely, absolutely. Well, it, it, when you when you look at it, and you mentioned automotive, and that that example really resonates and, and makes a lot of sense. Are there are there examples of industries in Asia, in, in the countries that you mentioned, like China, Japan, uh, South Korea, where robotics has come in and been used? easily and been integrated seamlessly almost into their workflow where the United States could learn, or just North America in general, they could learn from that example. Are there industries that are maybe underutilizing robotics right now in the United States that you see, maybe outside of automotive?
1: Yeah, I'd say general manufacturing. The metals industry is a good example. Mm -hmm. You've got lots of machine tending operations. Essentially, let's make this very simple. A robot is simply a device to create movement. So everywhere you need movement in a manufacturing uh, facility, a robot can replicate that movement for you. And if you want extremely controlled, precise, efficient, high speed motion, then a robot is the perfect solution for that. So applications that are dull, dirty and dangerous are perfect for a robot to do. And often what, what uh, drives the, let's say, the adoption of robotics it is not the cost of labor, it's the availability of labor. Uh, often people confuse these two things and assume that, oh, well, if it's, you know, labor's very expensive, then of course I could use a machine instead. That, that's not what's tending to happen. It's the fact that a lot of manufacturers are realizing they can't find labor, and therefore this machine represents a way to get that process done. They take the dull tasks and the repetitive tasks and do those with robots, and then they redeploy the staff to more sophisticated decision-making operations and applications that would be very difficult for a robot to do, to be able to make the assessment of the environment and what should I do next. That can be done by the human directly. One particular industry that I can say went from almost zero to robots was the electronics industry so if you think about all the smartphones we use and the tablets and so forth the amount of assembly and manufacturing processes producing those items is, is immense and the number of people you would need to produce at the volumes that we consume it at make it impractical mm-hmm. you, would, you would need a whole city of people to literally do these processes manually and of course none of None of us would accept the non conformance of the product because of course things done manually mean variability. And I want my next smartphone to be absolutely perfect. Absolutely. I don't want I don't want to scratch. I don't <laughs> I don't want to find that something doesn't work or it's not assembled properly. So what we saw in Asia again in the electronics market and the 3C and consumer electronics market, it it went from almost no automation or it went from day one let me do this it very quickly transitioned into high levels of automation and robotics just to meet the production volumes and the quality standards Mm. and that's an area across north america i think that um, the industry could adopt the use of robotics much more quickly
0: you mentioned uh, maybe a misconception about labor there, and I want to kind of get a little bit more into some of the misconceptions and maybe help demystify the technology of robotics just a little bit more, because I think education is a big aspect to the advancements of robotics and the technology involved. So what are some of the more, miscom- or, excuse me, what are some of the more common misconceptions that you find about robotics technology, and maybe kind of speak to uh, to how those can be maybe demystified or you know uh, clear that, that misconception up in the mind of some people
1: well there there are two aspects to this uh if you don't mind tyler i'd like to kind of explore them both if i can yes please the first is i think as an industry we in robotics and automation bear a lot of responsibility for the mystery that a lot of people feel that surrounds automation and robotics mm-hmm. we focus on the next thing we focus on new technology and we talk in in jargon terms about smart production and the Internet of Things and Industry 4.0 and digital twinning and this kind of thing. And a lot of people just immediately disconnect that, well, what you're talking about can't apply to me, surely, because I don't do any of that. And, of course, we need to not only look towards the leading edge of our industry, but if I can put it very crudely, there are far more companies in North America that don't use robots than do. So if I speak to those companies that don't use robotics, many times when we talk to people, they they, they almost fearful of the technology in the sense that they're sure they couldn't possibly manage it or own it or make it run or it would be so complex to keep it running, they need people they don't have currently employed to be able to manage their things. And they wildly overestimate the cost of, of you know, buying a robot because, of course, a lot of the noise around robotics tends to be at the leading edge of it, rather than the mass, the, mass, uh, the predominant mass, I'm sorry, of robots that are in use are doing very simple tasks. They're carrying things, they're loading machines, they're packaging things, they're welding things. It's not, they're not doing, you know, wonderfully 21st century or 22nd century processes. And so we as an industry could, could do a much better job of addressing these uh, ordinary businesses that could benefit from the use of robotics. And I repeat what I said earlier, a robot is a, is a machine to create movement controlled movement, repetitive high-speed movement and where in your factory, Mr. Customer, could you use that repetitive controlled high-speed movement? So if you like, that's one area where I think we as an industry could do a far better job in, in communicating. I think on the other hand to take the second strand of this there's an awful misconception about robotics and the whole artificial intelligence story and so forth. And then there's a fear coming in, in place there that, you know, the robots are going to take our jobs and uh, AI and, and whatever else. Right. And this is largely just, I think robotics suffer from the science fiction connotation, to be frank. Because a lot of people, you know, have seen movies or TV programs where the robots suddenly do things that are unexpected and that association somehow resides around industrial robots, which couldn't be further from science fiction if you tried. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, underlying that is the idea that you know robots are replacing human beings and we won't have a job and so forth. Uh, none of that is true. There are lots and lots of statistics that, that show that when robot sales increase, unemployment decreases the two things almost always happen at the same time. And if I were to replace robots with computers and say, you know, 25 years ago, or whatever it was, nobody had a computer on their desk. um, uh, And we didn't, you know, when the first computers came along, you know, were we fearful of them? Did we think that we're going to take our jobs and control our lives and so forth? Well, in fact, Everybody's got computers now, from smartphones to desktops to iPads to, to who knows what. And yet we still have, as I say, uh, pre-coronavirus and post-coronavirus, record low uh, unemployment levels. So where, where are all these people that lost their job? Right. And if you look back through history, man has strived constantly to develop new tools to make his life easier. And... Robotics is one more tool in that chain of trying to make our life easier, Mm -hmm. to do dangerous jobs with machinery, to do repetitive jobs with machinery. And that's exactly what they are. They're a mechanism to produce things that are dull, dirty, and dangerous. That's the vast majority of people do that. And the benefit, of course, is that the people can be used and redeployed elsewhere in the plant. Right. So I think it's the two strands. One, we as an industry need to demystify or use different jargon and make sure that we're communicating properly with the vast majority of industry. And at the same time, there's this ongoing dialogue trying to to redress this idea that robots and artificial intelligence are somehow going to take over the world. (laughs) They're They're just not...
0: You know, I, I've heard I've heard a similar example about um, you know dishwashers or, or washing machines, and um, similar to what you you said about computers, just that that pursuit of efficiency doesn't mean that people are no longer involved. It simply just means that um, as an industry and as a as a nation or as a as a worldwide you know uh, group of people. Everybody is seeking that next level of efficiency, and that doesn't mean that people are going to lose their jobs and that robots are going to take over and just replace all humanity, but that, that level of efficiency is just simply keeping up in the marketplace, which keeps more people employed than if you were to stay you know, lagging behind and taking longer to produce things and doing it in more unsafe manners and things like that. The robots really increasing efficiency means that more people get to keep their jobs than the opposite, and I think that that's a really powerful example.
1: That, that's exactly right and if I could give you a very prosaic example that um, I often use in this circumstance that robots are protecting jobs in, in many cases and we don't get that story across you have just given a sort of a large example or a, a setting of how the efficiency improves people jobs pro- job prospects, and of course gives them greater job security, but mm-hmm. I always give the example I met a guy once who was operating a business, and I can't recall the exact number of employees, but it was somewhere from around about 150 people in his plant. He'd been in this town for a very long time producing uh, goods there. And he told me, you know what, I can't find any people to, to come and work at the plant, and my workforce is aging. And so I'm, at the moment, if I don't find an alternative, I'm going to have to close this company down and move it somewhere else where there's a ready supply of people to do the work. And, of course, on the, on the larger you know, uh, macro scale, we saw this mass offshoring at one point because we felt it was good to move product to where there was a ready source of labor. But what about these 150 people with their jobs? So the answer he, he, he found was to employ automation and robotics in his plant to enable him to remain there and be competitive. And, of course, the end game was that everybody in that plan kept their job. Right. So this is another story we as an industry need to get out there. It, it protects jobs rather than this idea that somehow it's going to take jobs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful example and a really uh, good testament to how robotics does help do that and kind of clears up that misconception for people. Uh, Simon, I kind of want to close with this, that you have over 35 years of experience in this industry, in this field. And I, I'm curious just from your perspective how you've seen the industry really grow and change over time, um, kind of throughout your, your career in robotics. How have you seen the industry you know, begin you know, from your from your early years all the way through where it is now? Just kind of give, give us a sense of, of that maybe historical context.
1: Well, you make me feel old now when you say it like that. And, and in the spirit of full transparency, I certainly wasn't there on day one when right. robotics began. But <laughs> right. in the time I've been in it, um, I suppose that the overriding characteristic is that robots have moved geographically. They were, in the main, they were being used in you know European countries and also, as I mentioned at the beginning, in the United States. Uh, and as you know, robots got more plentiful and cost collapsed. I mean, I can't tell you that, that, you know, the price of a robot today versus the price of a robot back when I first began in 1985. It's at least half in real terms. And often it's much greater than that. So they've come down. I'm not adjusting this for inflation. I'm just taking $1 and $1. And today they're at least half the price that they were back in the middle 80s, and new applications have come along. Very smart people have have seen a process or an application and said, you know what, with a a certain type of gripper on the end of the robot or a certain type of of control software or control architecture around the robot, I can now do this application. So we've had this acceleration because more and more applications have been, uh, challenges have been solved. And robots are starting, have started to be adopted across the world because where people are facing these production challenges, you know, it, again, uh, if we talk about Asia now, of course, Japan was quite early in the, in the uh, robot industry, but elsewhere in Asia, absolutely not. But as these companies like South Korea became powerhouses of manufacturing, the they, uh, consumption of robots went up dramatically. So in my time, I've seen robots go wide in terms of geographically uh, geographic adoption and deep in terms of the number of applications that they now do. And let me give you two extreme examples that I certainly could never have imagined when I came into robotics sure. to come about. Entertainment robots. So if you think about the big amusement parks in places like Florida and uh, los angeles a lot of the rides that you go on are actually got robots underneath that are manipulating you about to create the movement i i, I never saw that application coming down the pipe <laughs> i must say but that's becoming more and more uh, uh, standard so rather than these massive one-off Uh, entertainment rides that take forever to design to create motion people are using robots now to do that and then in in surgery and in medicine robots have found their way into that uh, field too and we have one customer of ours which is who has developed a process for replacing hair for those those of us that are follically challenged and he's able to substitute hair from elsewhere on your body back into your head I never saw that one coming down the typing or
0: oh, that's uh that's a pretty incredible example, and I might need the the number for that client um, <laughs> when we're done here but uh, uh but you know that's those are two really incredible examples of just how the industry has developed and and grown over the years, and I'm sure that there are more applications that we haven't thought of yet that will continue to uh to pop up over the years as uh, as robotics continues to uh. Go forward and and grow in the industry. And so, Simon, thank you so much for joining me and giving me your uh, state of the union for robotics. Uh, this was a this was really fun and getting a kind of a snapshot view of where we are with robotics in North America and where we could continue to move move in the future. So, thank you so much for joining us for this episode.
1: Thank you, Tyler. It was my pleasure.
0: And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Orange Intelligence, a podcast by Kuka Robotics. We do appreciate it very very much. Please go subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts these days. Google Google Podcasts. I know there's a lot of different podcast outlets. So please go subscribe there for more episodes of Cuckoo Robotics that will be coming down the pipeline very, very shortly. And uh, yeah, so make sure you hit subscribe to that. Like I mentioned before, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back soon with more episodes. But until then, have a great day.